Hi, I'm Lisa Lloyd, and I'd like to welcome you to the third series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. Series one explored what we mean by employee experience, and season two is all about how to achieve that. I've decided now to change things up a bit. I'm no longer focusing on a specific topic for a series, simply because I've got too many amazing guests lined up to have conversations with. So whether it's about leadership style, mental health, the metaverse, retention recruitment, or after action reviews, there is something for everyone. As a psychologist, a psychotherapist, and business owner of It's Time for Change, I get involved with so many different aspects of employee engagement and experience. And so the variety you'll experience on this podcast is equally broad, but they all fit with my mantra, get people right, we get business right. You'll hear from some really interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership and awesome culture and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. Colin Minto, Global Early Careers Talent Attraction Lead, there's a mouthful, at the HSBC, is joining me today from the outdoors. Um, For those of you who know me well, I'm a fan of being outside, so this suits me really well. Colin, tell us where you're standing, um, because it's very, very different to any other guests that I have uh, spoken to on this podcast. (laughs) Fantastic. So, uh, good morning. I'm in there, and good morning, or good afternoon, good evening, everyone who's watching this. I'm, uh, I'm in Canary Wharf. Um, and there's a beautiful uh, area, just a, a short walk from the office here, which is at the River Thames. So if you can see here, it's the Canary Wharf River Taxi Station. And uh, I've got a lovely backdrop of the Shard and the city. And if I, if I spin around, I've got, I mentioned this earlier, there's some, some people working on cleaning windows on, on ropes, which would scare the life out of me. So, so uh, I'll, I'll spin around. But look, I've got um, Canary Wharf and some, some wonderful big buildings and uh hive of activity behind me Actually, i have to say the, the thing i like is because there'll be lots of people just listen to this um as an audio but actually i would encourage people to listen to this while they're walking somewhere nice because just mm. watching just seeing you colin with a different backdrop rather than just a company banner or a wall is just uh it just changes the tone of the conversation yeah. it's kind of yeah it's, it's more Absolutely. energizing Oh, it's fantastic. I come here lunchtimes um, when I get the opportunity. I just get my sandwich and uh, a drink and crisps and I sit here. I watch the river. I watch people run past. Sometimes I'll be running past because I, uh, I get me, uh, my gear on and go for a run uh, most, uh, most, most weeks when I get the opportunity to. So, yeah, beautiful, beautiful yeah, hive of activity. Um, underground here, we've got all of the shopping centres and, you know, it's absolutely packed. But when you come up and you get down to the river here, it's absolutely stunning. Really, really pleasant place. So you and I connected via the amazing David Greenaway. And Dave, um, I didn't realise the how you knew Dave and about uh, all the, uh, is it karate? No, kickboxing. Kickboxing, yes. And there are so many. I loved hearing all about someone I know as a business coach. Uh, actually, lots and lots of interesting things about his past. Oh, <laughs> so no. Have, I, have I given the game away? David I'm sorry I'm sorry I didn't I didn't I didn't give the trade secrets away that honestly um but today we're not talking Dave we're talking OCD and I I'm actually really looking forward to this conversation because again those who know me know that I'm really passionate about mental health and I spend a lot of time talking about and supporting people 
who are challenging uh, who experiencing challenges to their to their mental health for whatever reason mm. um and this is the first podcast episode where we are talking specifically about a mental health challenge um you know something that affects uh, a certain number of people we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail but that sense that um we're drilling down almost into specifics around mental health rather than what we've been doing safe runs podcast which is uh, sort of having a much broader umbrella approach to actually how can we support employees to have a really good experience at work so this is zooming right in and specifically on OCD um, which I'm really looking forward to hearing your take on it and you'll tell people why in a moment um, I guess part of this would be about helping people think differently about OCD so they come away thinking okay I've got a, a different mindset towards it and I'm going to go and take some different actions so that's um, kind of something I'd like people to leave but before we dive into that let's hear a little bit more about you and what you do at HSBC um, why you're so passionate about that and also why you're really passionate about being here talking about this today. Fantastic thank you Lisa so yeah at the moment I'm the uh, early careers uh, talent attraction lead for for HSBC global so um, essentially I'm responsible for uh, making sure we promote the the opportunities um, for graduates interns at the at the bank uh, to come in and, and start an amazing career. Um, absolutely um, fascinated with that specific area of, uh, of talent attraction by, by trade. I suppose my day job is I'm a, a global head of resourcing, a global head of talent acquisition. And mm -hmm. I've done that for some of the world's biggest organizations. But I've gone and noticed, and I've, I've had difficulties through the pandemic, um, which I'll, I'll touch on in, in a bit more detail. Um, but I've noticed my kids have too. Um, and there's been, unfortunately, a tremendous amount of um, teenage suicides, so certainly in the, the area where I live, in Horsham, West Sussex. I'm also a, a Horsham district councillor. Um, and I think it was in the space of about two to three months, we had um, three young people take their own lives. And mm -hmm. I can't relate that specifically to uh, any one thing, but it's... Um, you know, you read the press, you see that, uh, you know, the, the, the stories and the concerns that the, the aftermath, the, the legacy of the pandemic is a, is a mental health crisis. You can understand why, you know, people are struggling. So I saw my kids have difficulties. I saw them have uh, be taken away from their community. I mm. saw them, um, you know, suddenly not being able to meet anyone and uh, having to do everything online. A massive, massive shift and change. And we all know that change, I see you've got change in the background there on the, on mm. the wall. We all know that change can be disruptive and change can impact on people in different ways. So I kind of saw the impact on, on my kids. Uh, I, I read the impact on other people and I thought, what a, what a great opportunity to uh, come to a huge organisation um, and help those people to transition from arguably a very different uh, experience in university um, into the corporate life um, than, uh, than ever before. So absolutely fascinating. It's been brilliant. Um, I love the people I work with and uh, the organisation really, really does um, uh, practice what it preaches around uh, mental health support and um, all the different physical and financial mental health well-being uh, activities that you, you would expect to, to extent where you know, every day in my inbox I'm getting uh, opportunities to sit on seminars, to sit on courses um, that are there to, to support, strengthen any form of health, which is, which is fabulous. So yeah, it was, it was great. Um, but my day job, as I said, I've worked for some very, very large organizations. I've also done consultancy in mental health and wellbeing and stress diagnosis. But um, the reason I'm, I'm kind of talking to you and we got connected was because 
I've got OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I think uh, it needs a bit of a rebrand. We'll get onto that about mm. my, my concern of the naming convention for mental health uh, conditions, um, otherwise known as mental illnesses or disorders, malfunctions. I just think the, uh, the language isn't, uh, isn't really going to encourage people like me or others to, to open up and talk about it. But uh, I've had a torrid time throughout the pandemic. I, um, I fell over big style. Um, and really, really hit rock bottom. The worst bout of OCD lasted about 20 months I've ever had in my life. And I've had some catastrophic events in my life. So um, I, you know, I've come out the other side or, or still coming out the other side. And um, it's just my opportunity to maybe be very public about it. Um, hope that other people will, will see this and, and see someone that's, that's talking about it when they might not necessarily feel like they have the strength to, mm. but to go hopefully have some hope as well that there is uh, things that you can do. There mm. is uh, a great life you can still have, even though you have a, a health condition, let's call it. Um, and, um, but you know, there are, uh, there are people that can support you. There are therapies that you can go to. There's uh, medication that you can take, all things that, people like me have, have maybe avoided. And I've, I've got to say, I had a conversation um, with somebody at the weekend who was talking about someone they're very, very close to, uh, a young lady who um, is uh, in university. And um, I said to her, I said, How, you know, how's, she, how's she doing? And she said, oh, okay, not too bad, but um, you know, you know, going back to university is going to be a bit of a bit of a, a struggle. Uh, it's not OCD; it's anxiety. But uh, I said, "Well, have you spoken to the medical profession? Have you, have you talked about medication?" She said, "Oh, she's really frightened of doing that. Um, you know, taking that. What will people think? Um, and it might impact on her uh, ability to get a job in the future because she's taken uh, medication for a, for a mental health condition." I was like, "Whoa! You know, mm -hmm. stop the bus. Seriously, we we've got to be a lot more." Um, mature around this conversation we've got to be able to um, bring it out there and talk about it and and enable others to do so otherwise they're not going to get the help they need and we've got to start celebrating the the superpowers that that you get as a consequence or as a byproduct of, of going through a journey and and having a, a condition like mine and um, you know I talk about that a lot as well just to try and hopefully stimulate uh, conversation understanding mm -hmm. Um, maybe move people away from using OCD in jest. So what I think is really interesting is there'll be a number of people listening to this now who will think, actually, um, that's not really relevant to me. I don't experience OCD. I don't know anyone who does. It's not something that I'm going to come across. And might be inclined just to think, well, I'm going to tune out because actually I'm going to zoom onto another episode. What would you say to those people I would say that my journey with OCD is probably 80, 90% similar to everyone else's journey with uh, not just mental health conditions, but mm -hmm. any health condition. One of the drivers of a, um, a mental health condition is, is stress mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, life stress, work stress. Um, it's, uh, you, you'll know this better than I do as, uh, as a qualified uh, professional in the space, but the more you put yourself under uh, pressure and, and that builds into stress, the more chemicals released into the body, which you can, um, you know, you can imagine, um, you know, trigger different, uh, different responses. My response happens to be OCD and the symptoms of OCD. Others have anxiety. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a session soon around burnout. Um, someone that uh, I, it's a very strange situation, but my OCD probably kicks in before I would burn out. 
Mm. Um, if I didn't have uh, a condition like that, uh, and I was still putting myself under the same stresses and strains, um, I would probably hit a, a position of burnout. Um, so I think it is it's hugely relevant. And I, I would also say that this is not just a talk about OCD. This is a talk about health in general. I think we as humans need to talk more openly about the things that challenge us, the things that give us different skills, qualities and abilities. You know, the, the difference is great. So uh, I think this is more around, OK, let's be open about a specific subject. Let's be open about all subjects um, and let's try and understand and, and identify the positives rather than the, the negatives, because there are there's a, so many people out there that uh, have different things going on in their life. And um, I don't think there's anyone that could possibly say that they're not affected by something. I mean, I went through three years ago, the, the, the death of my father um, and the, the grief that I was experiencing, uh, I was putting on a par with, um, with my mental health condition mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it's, it's super relevant for all. I think your point about it, um, you know, what you're thinking, what, how we think about OCD and how employers need to think about OCD. Actually, we need to think about that as being a mental health condition where there's lots of similarities actually in terms of what the workplace can do and how we need to uh, kind of change the the culture around being able to talk about it normalize it and support it and so on um, and i think when i was uh kind of invited to write some chapters for a, a book around um mental health in the workplace um which has not yet been published but we're so we're still working on it but i have a variety of chapters and on variety of different aspects of mental health and in the section where I'm writing about uh, specific practical strategies for the workplace, so this is kind of a, more of a handbook rather than a theoretical um, yeah. something. And actually, the similarity is staggering. And I've been struggling to try and almost come up with something that's saying, well, this is this is, you know, this is very different. This is a whole different set of stuff that you need to use for this person uh, or this particular mental health need compared to that one. There is such similarity. Actually, I think the biggest difference is not between what you call it, whether it's OCD, anxiety or something else, but actually about personal individual differences. And, yeah. and that's the bit that I suggest to people that they need to work out what's going on for someone and how they how it affects them and how they respond, not get tied yeah. up in the label. No, I, I completely agree. And I, I can't use two hands at the moment because I've got one uh, holding the phone. But imagine I've got another one here. I, I think in all of us, we call it a pressure cooker. There's a level. Uh, there's a level that um, if you're under that level and you're, you know, you're, you're cruising through life, you're having a wonderful time um, and you know, you're not under pressure, you're not under stress, you stay under that, that level. Um, and I've been under that level for many, many years in my life where I haven't had my um, uh, the symptoms of, of OCD. I, I was born with OCD. It's not something you catch, um, albeit I was asked by a, a global head of well-being once, how did I catch it, which was an interesting question. Um, I politely answered rather than um, <laughs> I got disappointed. And um, no, there's a level. And I think once you, once you go over that level by pushing yourself there, um, maybe, you know, stress, um, relationships, uh, financial pressure, um, uh, issues at work, you're under too, it's got too much workload, you've got uh, responsibility, no authority, all the main drivers of stress, etc. You, um, you, once you go past that point, you can start having symptoms and, and they manifest in, in, in a number of different ways. As I said, with me, it's OCD, with others, it's, it's anxiety, some it's depression, uh, some it will be, uh, as I say, burnout when they get too, too far. So I think as humans, we've got this pressure cooker um, and we are very, very good at, at, at testing the limit. 
um, and um, and getting to a point where where it's too much. I always liken it to uh, everyone knows Mo Farah when he's running a, a race and um, he gets faster and faster and faster and he's trained and he's trained and he's trained and he's and he's mentally in tune. He's getting faster and faster. But when he crosses that line, you watch what he does. He pretty much not falls over, but everything stops. And I think that's what we do to ourselves. We, we push and we push and we push and we push. We push sometimes beyond that limit. Mm. And then when we take the pedal off, when we stop, when we've achieved what it is we, we want to achieve, then that's when we can have a crash. Mm. And I think that's re- it's a really, really important thing to, to maybe zoom in on, uh, on this or on a latter stage, because you know, we, we, as humans, we push and we push and we push. And we push well beyond what we're capable of achieving. But we, we use different hormones, I would say, in our body like adrenaline to keep ourselves going. But once that impetus is, is gone, then I think you crash. And that's what happens with me. I can, I can push myself so hard. Then all of a sudden I realize I've gone too far. And once you've gone into that zone, mm-hmm. it's super difficult to, to get back. And uh, I have done it and I've done it on numerous occasions, but this one has been about 20 months worth. And I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you have some people who just believe they're so resilient that they, mm-hmm. can, um, they can just take everything and anything and they can cope with pressure and they thrive on pressure. And, and some people do feel much more alive and, and they feel that sense of thriving on a certain amount of pressure but what they don't realize is that you can only maintain a certain amount of pressure for a certain amount of time exactly. and they get very used to operating in a way that is just under burnout and that's that becomes their norm and if they're in a company in an organization where everyone else is operating at the same sort of level there is no one there kind of as a healthy comparison to be able to say you look or you're behaving or I'm worried about you or anything in terms of those signs of this you know the emotional arousal has really escalated we need to do something to pull it back because it, it's absolutely becomes so normalized in our society now that we end up all walking around essentially like pressure cookers mm-hmm. talking about how you're doing oh I'm so busy I can't fit anything else in life's crazy and it's almost like that's just norm rather than well, what are you going to do about it how are you going to change yeah. it how are you going to pull it back and get your balance yeah. And, and aren't we uh, very good as humans of, of reacting when it's too late? Yeah. So there's so many things that you can do to avoid this happening in the first place. And, and every time I uh, have a, um, a major episode, I, I kind of think back to I, I didn't need to get here. Mm. If I was if I was exercising, uh, well, I do exercise a lot. One of my, mm. my uh, coping strategies, I, I exercise, I run. I'm a, I'm a big runner. Um, but, um, you know, alcohol is not great for uh, for someone with um, uh, uh, certainly with the with the propensity to have OCD uh, lack of sleep you know burning the midnight oil mm. um, you know not uh, you know spending too much time um, you know online and not not having rest not doing breathing exercises not relaxing mm. you know all of these things that I could do and, and I tell myself right from this point forward Colin you're going to be Mr Chill um, <laughs> so this never comes back I can cast iron guarantee I'll forget about that in a couple of weeks I'm so happy that I'm feeling better yeah. I get out there and then, you know, maybe in a few years time, I'll suddenly realise, oh, oh, if only I had and it wouldn't yes. be so severe. But um, and I, mean, it, I, you know. I think that's a really important point, regardless of what's going on with someone's mental health. Um, that sense of being able to keep front of being self-aware about what keeps you in a healthy place. Yeah. But also keeping that front of mind in terms of prioritising it, because, you know, whether it's someone going to the gym or, or, or going for their run or whatever it might be, is that actually if you, it's very easy to let that slip. And um, because life's busy and that's fine. And then people say, well, I don't have time to do that. 
and I know yeah. it's really good for me and I know I really enjoy it but I don't have time and you think well your 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 bills time if you create the time to do whatever it is for you it might be sitting in the garden having a cup of tea it doesn't have to be necessarily running um but if you're if you create that time reducing your emotional arousal actually mm. buys you more time in the longer term because you're so much more effective at stuff rather than running around feeling frenzied all the time oh absolutely and I tell you what I wish I'd have um you know practice what I preach there um in the run-up to or say through the pandemic because mm. I've had as I said, the worst bout I've ever experienced. 20 months of trying to uh, put this back into, into its box, as it were, mm. um, when, um, when it triggered. And, um, you know, so prevention uh, and cure, you know, obviously yeah. uh, simultaneous, but, um, you know, I, I am going to be focusing really, really heavily on, on prevention. Um, but, um, you know, uh, life is, uh, is stressful, life is challenging. And, and when you're actually feeling fine, you don't feel like you need to do anything exactly and that's the thing we must remember we've got to look after ourselves we've got to eat well we've got to sleep well we've got to have you know compassion for the world we've got to you know have some uh, us time and me time otherwise unfortunately if you push yourself too far you have a challenge yeah and I think um another thing that people find helpful is having like I call them accountability partners partner sounds a bit formal but that sense that I'm gonna I need I know I need to do these things to stay healthy if you if I stop doing them or you don't see me doing them, can you just check in or can you if you if you're not around and you don't know, phone me or text me, ask me, am I doing them? And if I'm not, why not? And get me back on track. So it's that sense of I don't have all the responsibility on my shoulders if I know that I'm someone who is not necessarily great at sticking to what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Let's talk about OCD. What is OCD then? Because it's a term that loads of people, most people will have heard about, but actually don't necessarily understand what it is. Yeah, it's massively un misunderstood. And um, so OCD is described as a, a disorder, brain malfunction. Uh, it's, I don't know the exact uh, part of the brain, but there's a part of the brain that uh, it doesn't work um, tremendously as well as it should. So um, everybody's got what uh, you would know as the fight or flight mechanism to react when you're in danger. Everybody um, has, a, has a threat system. It's the same thing. Um, and we need it. We need it to, to kick in when we're in, in, in danger. So um, I would uh, always say that if you're uh, walking down a dark alley of an evening and someone jumps out with a balaclava and a shotgun, um, you're going to have a reaction, right? You, and that reaction could be one of a number of things. It could be panic um, and run. It could be freeze. It could be to strike out. It could be a number of different reactions. So, um, and that's a super, super extreme case. And I hope that never happens to anybody. But just a way of describing what that sensation is and, and then the urge to do something about it because you're in danger. So just imagine that triggering for pretty much anything you can make it trigger for anything or I, I certainly can I've um, you know so there's there's various things that you'll associate with with um, with OCD that people do understand around germs um, some people um, you know have thoughts around uh, and panic about potentially harming themselves or others um, to getting different illnesses um, to, a, to a rational brain and to someone that doesn't have OCD these thoughts come in and they're just processed they're just in out and, and you don't hang on to them. But with OCD, when it's triggered, the, the pressure cooker goes beyond the, the limit and you start being symptomatic. My uh, fight or flight and my threat system will kick in to one of those thoughts mm -hmm. and it will convince me it's real. It's, you know, for me, it is absolutely catastrophically real and I have to do something about it. 
So I then go down the route of doing something about it, which unfortunately um, you know, kind of uh, confirms to my brain there's a problem in the first place um, and that I need to do that, whatever it is, every time it comes along. So we call these compulsions or, or rituals. Um, so going back to an example, if someone has got uh, a fear of germs um, with OCD, they might touch something and think, right, uh, I've got that on my hands. Um, if I ingest it or I, I, I put my hand on a handle and someone else ingests those germs and they get ill, then all the repercussions will come back on me. My one is an ultimate fear that someone's going to die. <laughs> and unfortunately, I'm going to then get arrested and go to prison. Mm. So, you know, you can you can understand that these are, you know, th these are uh, really, really severe thoughts and, and concerns in, in the mind of someone who's who's triggered. Um, so I will then go and wash my hands. Um, you get that amazing sensation that, ah, oh, the danger's gone. I've solved it. Fantastic. Um, but your brain goes, oh, brilliant. All I need to do every time I touch germs is I go and wash my hands. Brilliant. Mm. So it does it again and again. And, and, and the body loves that sensation. It loves that feeling. It, it, it craves more, a bit like being addicted, I would say. So mm -hmm. um, it will then kind of go, whoa, you've washed your hands. Brilliant. But did you wash them enough? Maybe do it again. And that's why you have those, those repetitions. So you get into this cycle of things triggering you to... To, to, to panic and then you have a reaction to do something about it and that reaction to do something and, and actually following it through compounds it and it gets worse and worse and worse and spirals and spreads which it certainly does with me mm. so um yeah it's it, it's absolutely debilitating at times and you know i can quite literally spend 24 hours a day panicking about a range of different things that others would just not even consider because uh, their brain yeah. hasn't triggered and i think that's a you know a good point about it. it can be it can be 24 hours a day you know these intrusive and un very unwelcome thoughts that are kind of compelling you to can carry out that behavior don't just sort of come for a few minutes and then disappear for the rest of the day and then they pop back tomorrow it's like you can it's almost someone described it once as like a 24-hour battle with your own brain mm. and this a living hell yeah it is and how and how just how debilitating and sort of paralyzing that can be um which for someone who doesn't experience OCD is really really hard to put yourself in their shoes because as you say you'll worry about ending up going to prison because someone dies most people are like well that's just that's ridiculous of course that's not going to happen yeah. but as you say it's exactly. a difference in how your brain works yeah so so my brain funnily enough um now i'm coming down the other side i can have all those thoughts and i just automatically dismiss them yeah my my fight or flight my threat system is not triggering it's not capturing it and going <gasps> danger let's solve calling the 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 the, 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 spat, the sad but maybe interesting thing is is my brain is doing what it it's programmed to do i, I you should exactly. have this mechanism it's yeah. trying to help me it's trying to help me survive yeah it's trying to going back to you know medieval well, well before med prehistoric times when the saber-toothed tiger was chasing after you yeah you need mm. this mm. <laughs> this is a brilliant part of kit the yeah. kit of the brain right um but mine is just a little bit trigger happy um and, and i can yeah. make it trigger so much more frequently than it than it should do and i think actually that's a very important point because when when i'm working with people i will spend the first session if i'm wearing my psychotherapy hat the first session will always be about explaining what's going on in their brain and normalizing it and just reassuring them that the brain's doing what it's built to do it's yeah. just a bit trigger happy it's a bit like a faulty smoke alarm that keeps going off and you've burnt the toast not actually a house fire and yeah. it's that um 
it's almost a sense of relief for people knowing well, you know how you've just described it brilliantly it's that sense of knowing my brain is doing what it's supposed to be doing um but just not quite getting it right and we can't there are then strategies we can use to try and calm um our amygdala uh give it an identity because it makes it much yeah. easier to get cross with it if it's making your life hell but it's that sense of it's much easier to calm um yeah. your amygdala if you if you're aware of it and you can pick up those early warning signs yeah it, it is and i you know it just um you know when, when it triggers and um you get that panic sensation as i said the equivalent mm. of someone about to harm you um of course you're going to react you know my brain is saying colin there is mortal danger here you've got to do something mm. it's not though i'm not in mortal danger it's just triggered when it shouldn't have yeah. you know so you, i've got to try and get it back to a point where it triggers when i need it to i don't yeah. want to be so well that i'll be walking along a road and just you know blase about uh, you know something that's hurtling down the road coming towards me because <laughs> it's mounted the pavement you know I, I need to react but um and and it's absolutely fascinating that the things that i had I was, I suppose, made myself trigger to um, by allowing it to go and go and go and not really taking the right steps to, to control it. Um, I can think of all of those and I can experience all of those and nothing, absolutely nothing. But there are still a few that, that, that ping in that I have the reaction to, but it's not as severe and I can just go, huh, yeah. thanks, you know, thanks, thanks for trying to save me. I'm all right, thanks. I got yeah. this, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it can be hugely debilitating um mm. and which can actually get in the way for a lot of people just doing their day-to-day -day normal activities and I think that's something that again workplaces colleagues need to be aware of um you know just how just how it can impact on someone so it'd be really helpful Colin to hear a little bit more about your experience and how OCD has impact on you particularly when you're in a place where you're trying to work you're, you're you've you got a you've got a job to do and you're yeah. living with this this um sort of ongoing battle as well yeah so i mean work is also a bit of therapy as well so i um when <laughs> we've gone through the pandemic and then people are, are sort of like talking about hybrid working and saying we fully embrace hybrid working you can work from home if you like i was like no way i want to be in the office five days a week if i can please because i need my stimulus i need my routine i need my life my stage you know i'm i'm a people person i want to be around people um so when um when when ocd is at its absolute peak with me uh, i can spend hours and hours and hours ruminating over the same thing and trying to prove to myself that what i'm worrying about isn't going to happen that um because i might have uh, you know not washed my hands correctly um you know people aren't going to die and i'm going to um you know i have to try and sort of like reason with myself continuously and prove and prove and prove to try and get that hit of comfort that mm. oh, i've solved it fantastic mm. and it can be about a number of things not just um ruminations but um you know compulsions to, to do certain things i don't do tapping or anything like that i don't do what other people will be aware of is where you've got to flick the light switch 20 times um, mm. before you can leave a room it's more upstairs with with me mm. um, but I do actually have the compulsions as well so you can imagine I can be distracted I can go very very quiet and I can be consumed in my own head I can still function but I'm kind of a dual purpose as it were I'm, I'm trying to do stuff but I'm consumed and consumed and consumed by this this concern and this fear and I'm constantly trying to like nip it in the bud and, and I think that's probably you know, one of the, the, the traits that we all have with OCD is you just want to sort it quickly. 
You just want that magic, get rid, get rid, get rid. Um, so you do do your compulsion. So um, yeah, I can, I can spend hours and hours and hours consumed and, and literally doing nothing. Um, the good news is for me, um, I've never taken a day off sick with, with OCD. Um, and when I'm at work um, and I immerse myself in work, although I've got the fear and the concerns around me, um, I'm able to, to still apply myself. And if you talk to people I've worked with, I'm still able to succeed. But it doesn't mean I'm um, sitting there comfortable. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm super troubled. Um, and, you know, that is why it's, 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 it's classed as maybe a hidden disability, because uh, not only can you function whilst you're feeling terrible, um, you also don't necessarily want to talk about it openly because uh, there's a real stigma associated with it. So, yeah, absolutely brutal. And um, when it's out of control, it, it is completely debilitating. And I know people that are housebound uh, hospitalised as, as a consequence of it. But you can obviously do things to, uh, to, 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 to get on top of it, which is, um, you know, what I love to talk about as well. And I, yeah, I think, um, I think that whole sense of you're, you're, you're someone who can carry on functioning doing your job and so that really adds doesn't it to that sense of you're right you're okay you're fine actually Colin can just get on with his job and we can almost leave him to do it we don't have to be aware of doing anything different to support him we don't have to be yeah. aware of actually what he's going through at the moment because we can see that he's getting on okay and it's easier as you say in terms of thinking about it as a disability it's easier just to ignore that particular need because you seem to be functioning really well but what we've don't see is that um you know almost the burnout territory you're teetering on the edge of because you're yeah. carrying all this noise around and all this pressure and you've got this internal kind of narrative in terms of what you're doing with these intrusive thoughts um at the same time trying to do your day job and for yeah, most people and their day job is is big enough <laughs> on its own yeah no absolutely I mean I, I call it an unwanted job you know I've got I've got my day job I've got my life and I've got this um a continued um, compulsion and urge to solve what my illness is telling me is uh, mm. I should be worried about. Um, and I think the only reason I'm at that stage where I can function still is because like, I know I have an illness. Mm. I know I have OCD. Um, when, when you face it for the very, very first time, which a lot of people are, um, and you know, people reach out to me and say, look, my, my, my daughter, my son, someone I love has just started presenting with all of this and we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. That is when you could be um, without knowing what it is and without being diagnosed what it is and then going on the journey to uh, understand it, accept it, uh, because, you know, it is my lot. Yes. Uh, it's not going to go away um, mm. and it's going to flare up, you know, again in the future. And, I, and I've now got my coping strategies and uh, an understanding around meds that, um, that are going to you know, help me and, and, and write me. But um, if you experience it for the very, very first time, I think that now must be absolutely unbelievably petrifying mm. on top of how they're feeling anyway um because they just don't know what's going on and that yeah. that can lead to complete i would say uh shutdown um yeah. where people will lock themselves away where people will go go to hospital because they just generally don't know what's happening to them yeah. so you know this is why i think you know ocd misunderstood joked about you know those people that um say oh I've just been a bit OCD um, you know they've got their pencils in a row on their desk or they put the tins in a, in a row and I think there was a story around David Beckham wasn't there that he's saying David Beckham's OCD because he put he orders his tins in a in the cupboard no 
no, 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 no. That's not just being a bit OCD. I, I, you know, I can tell you what OCD is and it's, it's harrowing. It's the fear that I might be able to do some harm to someone I love. Um, mm. And therefore I um, maybe think I am, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, typically, you know, crazy and, and I should be locked up. Mm. You know, that, that is not anything like, uh, it's just just ordering no, your pens no. and your pencils so so that's that's why it's it's misunderstood and I wish people you know knew more about it and you know I'm not criticizing them for that because we all you know use lazy language at, at, at times but um when you see things like um I think it's the OCD cleaners um program or I saw a van where it, 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 it was sign written yeah I'm the OCD cleaner or the OCD gardener and it's like no no, no. you're not and and if you if you're going to joke about it, and again that doesn't encourage people to you know come forward and talk to the medical professions, talk to the psychology profession about the way that they're feeling. So yeah, and, I, and I, just I, talk to their colleagues and their and their yeah, people at work friends, because if we can friends and loved ones as well, absolutely yeah yeah, and that goes back to the point you were making just now about not everyone can um, feels okay to talk about it at work, and that's something that in terms of people you know you're you found a way that you are able to fulfill your job um whilst living with OCD lots of people struggle with that so I I guess it's interesting to look at how you know companies what companies can do in order to better support people who are experiencing OCD which you might be able to talk about from a personal perspective and also just your your knowledge of OCD but just in terms of being able to kind of break down some of these barriers and for people to feel okay to uh, talk about their concerns or to support each other and um, just to kind of create an environment where people can be a bit more authentic about what's really going on for them and know that that's okay. Absolutely. So this is all about compassion for me, because if we if we boil it all down, we're all human beings and we've all got things that are going on in our lives. And I think if we if we turn up for work knowing full well that humans working with humans, there's bound to be things that are going on in people's lives. Let's just be compassionate. Let's be mindful about that. So when someone isn't quite feeling it, when someone isn't quite performing, rather than jump to that negative, let's go down the, you know, why might this be happening? Maybe someone is having a difficult time. And I think if we have that approach in, in business and we have that approach in the workplace where, you know, you can have an off day and, um, and not be, be turned into a negative and you can have someone say, look, hey, I've noticed you're not not feeling it today. What's uh, you know? Is there anything I can uh, I can do? Do you want to talk? You know, it's just being that human um, uh, and going back to that situation. I mean, uh, it's 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 a very very strange um, situation where you know you go into a a, a role um, and you feel that you're being um, you know pressured or dictated to do this and that and you're not necessarily being supported um, it doesn't make any sense to be uh, you know any any sort of like unfair treatment in work or um, to feel like you're being put under undue pressure because you um, you know I, I personally everyone that works for me I, I want them to be brilliant and I, I encourage them to be brilliant and if they're brilliant I'm automatically brilliant that's what I tell them I say look you know if you're if you excel if you thrive I automatically do. So my interest is to get you to be doing fulfilling work, enjoyable work, um, feeling well, um, uh, wanting to, um, you know, not necessarily go the extra mile, but wanting to achieve. Um, and I'll do everything I possibly can to help you do that. Because if you do that, then I'm automatically going to be you know, successful in, in my role. So I think we need to kind of reset the clock, I think, about um, 
about work. I think we also need to make sure that obviously we're, we're, we're educating um, workforces about the different types of conditions that are out there. Um, I'm on the charge to educate about OCD, but there's others that will talk about mental health in general and other specifics. I think companies and people, they need to know about this and they need to know how it affects someone. Um, and they need to know that, you know, people are going to um, be impacted on as, as a consequence of it. And therefore, also make available different um, support services. Um, you know, we've got a number of different um, mental health applications out there now that, um, that are fantastic that you can subscribe to and you can, uh, you can access when you like. But, but it's that work, workplace stress thing as well that is absolutely critical to get on top of. We've got to make sure that people know what their job is and what their purpose is and that their job description matches what they're being asked to do. That's one of the biggest causes of stress, people not knowing what their, their role is. Mm. Uh, another one is um, you know, bullying and harassment. Obviously, an absolute no-no. We, we, we've got to make sure we, we get on top of that. Uh, people having uh, responsibility but no authority. So they've got to deliver something, but they can't get it delivered because they're waiting for someone to sign it off. That puts pressure on. Uh, too much workload with um, uh, limited uh, time scale, so excess pressure, uh, mm. excess uh, demands. Now, all of these things that we know, I mean, they're, they're, they're simple things that we know of. If you go to the uh, Health and Safety Executive website and, and search for causes of stress, it tells you them. And, yeah. and they're simple things to remedy. This is management. This is leadership. Yeah. And I think add some compassion to that and just go, hey, look, let's just have a good time. Yeah, let's let's yeah, you know, we've got to make money, obviously. That's the outcome. But hey, let's do things our way and you know, let's embrace your difference. I mean, I, I personally I can do things that other people can't because I've got OCD. I celebrate that. Mm. I can proofread for Britain. I, my wrist radar is to die for. But you know, if if it's not harnessed and I'm not asked to use it, then mm. I'm suboptimal in, in yeah. a role. So I think I think that's what we've got to get to. We've got to we've got to be more human. I like your focus on being more human and, and more compassionate because I think for me um if well it fits really well with my kind of key approach which is around flexibility which kind of fits that being compassion being mm. compassionate so you know someone who's struggling with OCD or any other challenge to their mental health actually they need flexibility within their day to accommodate whatever's going on for them so for example someone who you know you mentioned germs is um a, a something that a lot of people with OCD um, struggle with if that's their particular uh, intrusive thought and if, if someone's get if someone's having a public transport to come into work into the office yeah. then they're going to need more time when they arrive perhaps to go and wash their hands do whatever they need to do fulfill whatever behaviors or actually not to do those behaviors but just to have some time that they can engage a healthy strategy that yep. gets them right into the right place to then engage with their work it might be meetings they don't want to be sitting in a room with lots of other people because they that makes them feel uncomfortable they're happy being more remote for you you wanted to be in the office and it's that sense of you have to know your you have to know individuals and actually this goes back to what I always harp on about actually it's regardless of what's going on with their mental health you need to know individuals well enough to know what they need in their day for them to really thrive and you know if it's that they need really short bouts of work and then breaks in between but they still get the same number of hours in but they just divvy up slightly differently then go for it it's, it's fine yeah. it's that personalization which is the absolute key for me yeah and, and I think you, you've got to ask the questions now what how, how am I going to get the best out of you I when I um was at Marriott and I must say I led I led in my interview with Marriott 
um, I met the two most senior HR leaders in, in, in Europe um, for my interviews. And uh, I led with the fact that look, I'm really public across LinkedIn and everywhere about my mental health. So let's, let's just call that one out. Um, I've got OCD, I'm on top of it, and it gives me superpowers and skills. And we had a whole conversation around that. And hey, I got the job. So, you know, there's an example that my difference was valued by an amazing organization. And, and I was allowed to practice that difference when I got there. So, um, you know, it's it's really, really important to ask the, 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 the question, how do I get the most out of you? Um, when I um, when I pulled two teams together, I just sat the teams down one group was in Dubai one group was in London I said hey look we've got to pull two teams together and we all kind of like do similar roles I think people were probably really fearful at that time about about their jobs I said look you know there's going to be things that you're going to really want to do this is an opportunity for you to tell me what do you want to do in this talent attraction and uh, employer brand space and every single person told me different things that they wanted to do so I changed all their jobs to factor in the things that they wanted to do and they loved it and they were and they performed and we were awesome as a as a team mm. uh, everyone calmed down because i said look i'm not going to be able to let you do everything you want to do there's going to be some other stuff that we're all going to have to muck in on but you know you've got an equal voice um, everybody's part of the solution um, you know things better than i do i don't know everything um, if you're specifically interested in focusing early careers and you're specifically interested in focusing on technology great let's carve it up that way mm. and see what happens and i had a, an amazingly happy team a productive team and 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 i was productive too because i just <laughs> yeah. human yeah it's just like what do you want to do and that approach is nothing to do with someone having ocd that approach is just really good uh team organization that's just really good work sense that's that's it's how i want to be treated myself you yeah. see so yeah. you know you, you hear these stories where um, you know, people are hired to do a job and then they're, they're trying to change them and morph them into doing it the way the company does it. What, why hire them in the first place? Yeah, exactly. you know, hire a machine instead because, exactly. you know, you, you, people have got skills, they've got benefits, they've got, you know, experiences. Um, if you get to understand what that is, what, what are people's sweet spots? What is, what is their difference? What can they bring to the party that maybe someone else can't? Or mm. what do they want to do what someone else doesn't want to do? Uh, I can cast iron guarantee you'll find people that will do any job no matter how you sell it to, to the world if you sell it honestly that mm. you know it's you know long hours it's going to be dark and um you know is uh, you're going to be a bit lonely um you wouldn't ever see that in a in a job description however there are people that are quite happy to do that exactly so, so you know let, let's sell things as they are um you know i generally think we've got a um take take the sales and marketing out of of things to a certain extent and just mm. be authentic and honest about everything um and and i think that's where you're getting you know startup companies and um you know really successful um you know disruptor organizations coming in because they're you know they're, they're being run by people that kind of get this mm. and they say right come on let's let's yeah we've got a job to do but let's do it in a fun way and let's do it in an inclusive and, and let everyone be themselves way and i think you know, maybe I'm talking utopia here, but I, I generally believe the most successful organisations out there have got a leader and, and leadership and employees that are just, you know, being themselves and being human. Oh, that is, you're completely speaking my language. And I spend so much time talking about compassionate, authentic leadership and helping leaders understand that and what that looks like for them and how the, the benefits for them and then the benefits for their team. Actually, if we can all start from that position. It yeah. makes a huge difference. I don't think that's 
I don't think that's being idealistic. I think that's actually um, that's the best way of getting really good results. Yeah. Well, look, look, I work in TA, right? So this is all about attracting people into into roles. So um, if I can, um, if I sell something differently to what it actually is, um, and someone comes in, I say, right, oh, this is brilliant, this is fantastic, and you're going to get all this and all this support, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They come in, and we don't deliver on that. The, we call it the the EVP, employee value proposition. Mm. If you uh, if you don't deliver on that. People will say, oh, well, you've missold me then. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm off. Now, if you, you start looking at um, um, early careers uh, se sector where people aren't necessarily mortgaged to the eyeballs at a young age now, they may be living at home or uh, they're sharing um, in, in um, you know, rental uh, properties, which are uh, you know, cost effective. Um, people can make a decision to, to move on and be transient. Uh, and millennials, we, we're keeping being told, want to move on and they don't mm -hmm. want to stay in one place at any one time. So if you sell it wrong, you're going to get found out, right? Yeah. So don't. Um, and, and what I try and do is just be as authentic as possible and really tell the people what the organization is, is, is like. If we're not happy with what the organization is like, then we can go on a journey to change that, right? But equally, when you get people in and they're doing the job they think they're doing and they love it and you're giving them fulfilling work and you're supporting them, they're happy, they're productive, they will say wonderful things about you. <laughs> and that is your attraction strategy. Yeah already got an amazing foundation so you know and it's not, and it's not rocket retention. science it's not no, rocket recruitment science. starts of retention look after your people keep them and they'll say wonderful things about you and then more people will want to join you so you know it, it really is simple but we we kind of like make it so complex um i don't know why we haven't quite nailed it so tell me a little bit about your superpowers then because um in a sense that there are there'll be people thinking about okay what sort of reasonable adjustments do i need to make in the workplace um or in in work um not necessarily everyone has a specific place of work what those things for some companies will just yeah. feel like a long list it's a big effort it's like really um is it not easier just to bypass this person or just kind of ignore them a little bit um and just focus on the majority but actually yeah. people with ocd and a whole other range of needs have what you refer to as superpowers. So tell us some of the benefits for you of having ACD. Yeah, well, well, one of the things is, um, isn't it fascinating that we're going down this this conversation now that uh, home working is um, is for everyone and everyone loves it and we should be allowing people mm. to work at home more often. Fantastic for those that, that want it. But if that goes too far for me, um, it, it's not a job I want to do. Yeah. Um, so um, my contract at uh, HSBC is, is coming to an end soon. Um, so I'm looking for, for opportunities. So um, those adverts that are saying this is 100% homeworking, I'm just ignoring them. It's gone the wrong way for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in a minority. I want to be in an office. I, want, mm -hmm. I don't want to be stuck at home. Um, so yeah, I think we just have to obviously be, be mindful of that. But I talk about superpowers. So I can... Um, I scare people with my proofreading ability. I can't proofread my own work. My brain's told me it's correct. But if you put a document in front of me and I put my proofreading head on, I can spot um, from a mile off every single typo, uh, every single you know, character spacing issue, whether font has changed, whether font size has changed and inconsistencies with punctuation. And, and, and people, two people in my career have said, Colin, you, you're frightening me. Uh, and it's like, well, sorry, it's my spider sense. Um, 
the flip side of that is when I make a mistake because I can't proofread your own work as, as well as, as other people's, I get ridiculed for, <laughs> ah, Colin, you got a comma in the wrong place. And it's like, oh yeah, well done. Thanks very much. So they get their payback. Um, I'm super orderly as you'd expect. Um, I try to live my life to be uh, a, a very nice kind of considerate person because I have spent years and years and years panicking that I'm not um, mm-hmm. because of my OCD. I've got a, a, a risk radar that um, I suppose is always on because my brain is so used to like, you know, Sudoku training itself to, to panic and worry. Um, not only um, can I spot a risk a mile off, but I've got a solutions brain because all I've been trying to do is solve. Yeah. So I'll be in a risk um workshop and people will be talking about the obvious risks and you know if that's what to happen then then that might be the case i'm, I'm about two layers down i'm sort of like putting wires together that, that people haven't even seen yet and saying well if this were to happen and that were to happen and then this circumstance were to come into play then there could be a real big issue here and and a lot of times people are like oh, yeah probably, yeah a bit too bit too far but sometimes it's really, really helpful to go into the weeds. And mm-hmm. I will come up with threats and risks that people have gone, oh, actually, Colin, yeah, that is spot on. That could be a thing. Let's mitigate for it. But again, uh, my solutions brain, I could basically take an issue that um, a, a major uh, recruitment uh, challenge um, with all these different moving parts. And I can just look at it and, and just apply my OCD kind of experience brain to uh, to pull things together and, and, and solve things. Um, I remember I was talking at the House of Lords at an event and someone was talking about um, a major recruitment challenge they had. And they looked at me and I, I kind of went, yeah, I've been thinking about, you know, catastrophic events, you know, recruitment challenges for me is not not a major issue so another one of my superpowers is i don't necessarily get too phased about a business problem you know a business problems a business problem you know lives aren't necessarily at stake i mean i know in some situations they could be but mm. with me I, I look at it and i go yeah okay problem how do we solve it let's not panic let's be try and be rational about it you know it's funny me saying that because i'm the, the, <laughs> the, the panic person but i've learned that panicking about things isn't a great yeah. uh, out doesn't lead to a great outcome just trying to take a step back and think things through and solve things and be calm, you know that there could be a much more positive outcome. So that's, uh, that's some of the some of the strengths that I that I've got in, in space. They, they are significant. I mean, they are those are the the kinds of skills and that's the kind of mindset that actually companies are striving for right now. And I think it's um, it's really interesting how some people almost close the door to some people or try and find what they think is the easier way to do things but actually if you invite um and if you embrace diversity and you invite difference in and you're kind of you're taking a very flexible personal approach um you get you get a real richness in your workforce that and and where people can really utilize strengths that actually you weren't necessarily appointed to be a great problem solver but suddenly we realize that in our midst we got Colin who is who's awesome at predicting and solving problems and when you realize that and you tap into that strength that's that's like that's gold dust isn't it yeah it's it's, it's harnessing difference Mm. right and different it's not just difference in thought it's difference in behavior everybody's got something um you know we're we're, as I said we're all we're all made from the same stuff We're, we're all humans but We've all gone through different journeys, we've all got different paths, we've all had different um, challenges, we've all got different uh, conditions that we have to manage. Now, I think if, we're, if we suddenly flip that over and say, right, okay, I wanna know 
I think the diversity laws wouldn't necessarily allow this, but I want to know what, what everybody's got going on in their life, right? <laughs> you know, and, and tell me how that can positively impact on a situation or life or, or, or business. Mm. And then you can actually then use that. You can put the right people in the right places to, to solve various challenges. I, I went to a, um, a sales meeting uh, with, uh, when I was running a, a stress diagnosis business and um, I sat down with um, chief HR officer who told me that uh, about 60 to 70% of their workforce were, were on the autism spectrum. And I was like, this is, wow, what an incredible statistic. Mm. And, and she was telling me that the, these, um, the workers were just, they were coders and developers and research and development. And the way that their brain was wired was absolutely perfect to innovate and produce this product that they produced, which is a, was a huge product. I won't, I won't name names because um, confidentiality purposes, mm. but it was fascinating that they actively wanted people to have difference because they knew it was a differentiator for their, their business. So there you go, there's the word difference differentiator. Mm. We're always striving for how can we be different in the marketplace so we don't look like you know ABC. Well, get difference in. And, and, and you wouldn't, you're right, you wouldn't be allowed to say, right, I want everyone to tell me what's going on in their life. But imagine if you had a culture where you could say, right, let's talk about what's going on in our lives. And people are honest and open about it. And um, I did some work with uh, a company working with, um, uh, with Elios, working on a product called Genesis, which is essentially helping uh, managers to have really, really good conversations with their teams through use it but in a very supported way very safe supported way and yeah. just starting to normalize all this kind of conversation and recognizing the pros as well as the cons of some of these things that we think oh that's that we don't want we don't want that we don't like that that's going to be just a headache yeah. and if it's actually we we need to start recognizing um that everyone has stuff going on whether it's yeah. falls into the mental health category whether it's something completely different but we all have stuff going on and actually if we can recognize that we know what we're what gets in the way for us, but actually what makes us really enable us to use our superpowers and yeah. find opportunities to do that more and more. Then we are we're in a really good place. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to pick up on your point that um, you know we we should have that approach. Leadership leaders can do this. Leaders can have that culture. They can have that approach. If, if you ask anyone who's worked for me the first thing I tell them is that I've got OCD, it's a mental health condition, more than happy to talk about it. If you've got anything you want to talk about, and I tell them how it affects me, if you've got anything you want to talk about, I'm probably in a good place to be able to do it. And I'm really open and, and honest about it. And I do have a tremendous amount of people in every company I've worked for would just come for a little coffee chat and say, Colin, can we just chat? And, and it, it's brilliant because, you know, in complete confidence, I'm hearing about uh, someone else's human challenges mm. um, and they know about mine and we're you know we're not in an exclusive club but we're just in that that zone where we're compassionate towards each other mm. and we've mm. got an outlet to, to discuss it so if more and more people were more human in their conversations and took away you can't take away the business from the business but but just had those relationships with their workers that hey look I'm human I've got this going on in my life um uh, that authenticity, I think, would be in a much better place. Yeah, what are the pitfalls <coughs> that some companies well, for, fall into? For me, for me, I don't want to be treated differently. Um, I I know I have an illness and I'm doing taking steps to manage it. I don't want to be um, given preferential treatment. I don't want to be treated differently because I, I want, can I say the word normality? Yeah. I just want a normal 
day where, you know, if I'm going to get told off for doing something wrong, I'll get told off for doing something wrong. I don't want people to, to think, oh, I better not go down that route because, you know, it might break Colin because that's mm. feeding into that whole negative mm. side of things. I want to be able to be treated, um, treated correctly. Um, companies should not go public with um, all of the uh, employer brand and EVP messaging about how awesome and brilliant they are and they give XYZ if they don't ultimately deliver that. Um, that is, um, you know, I think from the leadership and from the top down, everyone aspires to be this type of organization um, and aspires to, you know, deliver against that. But it doesn't necessarily follow through. And that might not be the company's fault. It might be down to individual managers. So um, what you must not do is talk about this and then not equip everybody in the organization to deliver it. You know, you can't just have the C-suite ed educated and trained on, um, uh, uh, on diversity, inclusion, inclusion, equity. You can't have um, the, the leadership just trained on, you know, let's, let's welcome difference and neurodiversity into the organization. It's got to be every single person in the business and everyone that's in a management um, capacity, because if one person's not on the bus, and treat someone unfairly or differently uh and that causes um you know a major challenge that mm -hmm. that is amplified a million times more than all the success stories yeah. so i think we must you know we we can we can aspire to do this but let's not let's not be what we're not yeah mm -hmm. if we're not quite there yeah let's not tell everyone we are yeah let's go on the journey and and keep people posted admit that yeah we've got some failings here we, you know, we're not as good at doing that as we, we should be, but we want to be mm. rather than claiming that we are because uh, there are there are a number of organisations out there at, um, that I feel are um, they're selling and marketing the opportunities to work with them. But I think we, they're not getting desperate, but because there's a, a skill shortage, because there's a, a worker shortage, people are using, you know, fancy, funky ways of trying to promote themselves. And it's not necessarily mm. real. And I think that's it. You've got to be real and you've got to call it as it is because there are people out there that want that. And if you get it wrong and you get someone in and they leave, the cost of that yeah. and the, 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 the negativity across the social sphere is, is colossal. You might as well not hire them in the first place. When you're also talking about getting everyone on board, so not just you know educating the leadership, but, but doing it across the board, I think for me that's really important in terms of creating an environment where people are not only aware but they are also holding each other accountable and I've been to a number of organizations where something you know a bit of a joke you know you're referring earlier to saying if someone's OCD because they've like pencils lined up or someone uses some inappropriate language you know classic referring to someone as the you know um Colin he's that OCD TA guy rather than yeah. it's Colin who has OCD you know it's not, it doesn't yeah. define you so beginning to be a bit more aware of language and what is and isn't okay and then calling each other out rather than some companies are people are quite passive in that space and expect mm -hmm. the managers to sort it out yeah or they are not sorry passive they're just too afraid to speak up because they don't know what is the right wrong thing to do so they don't do anything at all and yeah. it's that kind of like, and it's people are feel like they're walking on eggshells, and so they just don't yeah. do anything, and then the problem persists. I, I've been in that situation a number of times, and I, there was a um, head of diversity at one of the organisations I worked for. It was amazing. She had this phrase that don't make it a gender agenda, yeah, mm -hmm. because um, a lot of organisations target themselves on uh, race, 
um, gender and, um, uh, and and other things. There's specifics that they target themselves on. But I, I just think we should just call it all out as as difference. Mm. Yeah. Let's not just like zoom in on one specific thing and have targets against it. Let's let's focus on um, everybody is is equal, but everybody has, uh, has has differences. And let's try and understand what they are. And let's accommodate them. But um, I, I just generally think we we need to be um, super mindful of, of what's going on in, in, in people's lives, what um, the skills they have that they can bring to the party and and trying to trying to bring that out um, on the, um, the the diversity piece. It's, it's massive. It's, it's huge. But again, we've got to practice what we preach. We can't have um, an, an individual manager that isn't following the uh, the aspirations of the organization and therefore treating someone differently. Um, and not necessarily living up to, to what their expectations are, because it, it's, 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 a, it's a major, major miss. So that's a really good point. Are there any other key points that you think leaders should be taken away from listening to this conversation to make a real difference in their organisations? Yeah, um, I mean, I've spoken about, obviously, uh, the need for compassion, um, the need for um, you know, making sure that uh, people's differences are... Um, uh, are, are understood uh, and I just mentioned targets there that we shouldn't um, necessarily be uh, you know putting too many targets on on specific things because then you know someone that doesn't fall into that uh, protected characteristic group um, that falls into another one might feel that you know their their difference isn't as important as someone else's um, I I think there is an opportunity for uh, for targeting if we go back to the to the business um uh, situation um, and target management on the performance with regards to uh, inclusivity. So if you start uh, looking at um, employee engagement surveys, um, people's one-to-ones and um, you know all the, all the feedback that, that, that's coming through that's available, pulse surveying, there's so much information and data out there now that's telling you how you're doing. Um, there's you know some great technologies and some great solutions that uh, you can use up front to take a barometer check of, of how well you are looking after people's well-being and how stressed the organization is. So I think you build into, um, because money talks, right, in, in corporates, you build into people's remuneration. Maybe they're targeting, maybe they're bonusing um, targets around well-being, targets mm-hmm. around um, happiness within the organization. And, and when you say the word happiness, you, I, I just going to people probably watching this are not going to be reacting that way but others will go oh happiness now we're going down that woolly woolly happy happy you know you know fluffy fluffy conversation no it's not we all want to be happy yeah yeah so why why are we taking ourselves to task why aren't we measuring this in an organization yeah I'm going to be having a conversation for this podcast with a guy called Magnus who um is all about kindness uh which is obviously very uh, closely linked with with happiness and um that I hope that will shatter people's illusion that happiness is just this kind of soft fluffy thing because as you say everyone essentially wants to get up in the morning and feel happy that day and if they can if their work can fulfill that in some way which it should be able to because otherwise you should be getting a different job um then that that's going to be hugely helpful but so we shouldn't undermine that that very simple need to feel happy I know I campaigned as a, a Horsham district councillor on, on a couple of things. We want to feel safe. Yeah. As, as individuals, we want to feel loved. 
as and, and wanted as individuals and we want to enjoy ourselves mm. you know they're, they're, they're basic principles and you know you can say oh well, do you want to earn money then so, well you know that, that that builds into the safety piece so i think if you look at the the real simple principles of life and, and what's going to give you a fulfilling happy engaging um enjoyable life um, that's what we should be creating at, at work. So, you know, going back to leaders, I, I would love leaders if they've got any vulnerabilities, if they've got any uh, conditions that they haven't necessarily spoken about. I, I would love for leaders to come out and say, hey, yeah, it's me. I've got this and, and I'm proud of it. Uh, and, and, and this is how it uh, affects me. But equally, this is how um, it gives me some brilliance. Yeah, this is, this is, this, these are my superpowers. Because the minute you've got someone in, in, uh, ultimate authority saying hey yeah it's cool to be different and I am um, you know and not joking about it but just being human about mm. it then that sets the tone for the rest of the organization and I think if um, but but equally you know anyone in the organization could could be doing this but I just think that you know all eyes are on the CEOs the CFOs the C-suite and if we could start leading the conversation from there um, then fantastic and and I and I think that also you know there's got to be uh, I, I've we talked about the fluffy conversation earlier. Um, when the uh, conferences about three, four years ago started um, coming uh, on the circuit around compassion, again that was that was seen as a you know positive by my network, but a negative mm -hmm. by others. Going, oh, here we go again. You know, <laughs> business is about business, making money, and this, that. And yeah. it's like, no, it's not. It's about human beings. Yeah. At the end of the day, no matter how you spin this, people are the most important asset and companies talk about that. Another thing that companies have got to, got to do is not, not keep saying people are the most important asset and then treat them poorly. <laughs> um, because that is, uh, you know, obviously an, an absolute no-no. But yeah, it's people. And if we can understand what make people tick uh, and what's going to make people thrive and, uh, and apply that, then your business is going to be super, super successful. And people buy from people. And also is links with something you said, I think, um, off air before we started this conversation was about the rebranding of names mm. like OCD. Yeah. And if companies are beginning to have better conversations and to raise awareness and to perhaps present it in a way that this is not, um, you know, this is not just a negative challenge we've got to get our heads around, but actually there are real plus points yeah. uh, for this diversity. And let's, why not, rather than think about it, about it as a disorder, let's think about it as something else. So briefly, Colin, just mention what, yes. your, what you want your OCD to be rebranded as. I think OCD, but, but all mental health conditions, or let's call them health conditions. Mm. Um, but if we're going to have to have a name for it, obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh, it's negative. I'm, I'm, I've got a disorder. No, I've got behaviour. So OCD can become OCB, obsessive compulsive behaviour, in my opinion. Um, I think we probably need to have a look at the, um, the naming convention of, of, of all of these uh, conditions that, um, that we have and, and, and try and neutralize them a bit. Just make, you know, it, if we want people to talk about it openly, if we want people to um, say uh, it openly in the workplace or friends or to a doctor or to a, to a, um, a psychologist that, you know, how they're feeling and, and, and what it is that uh, they're experiencing, you know, you want to be able to, um, you know, not, not have a negative name tag and a, and a negative naming convention for it. So I think, yes, we must most definitely need to uh, have a bit of a rebrand and have a bit of a rethink on this because um, seriously, the way that we're going to 
kind of tackle this is by more and more people being aware, more and more people talking, uh, and more and more people celebrating that, yeah, I've got this condition, but it also allows me to do that. And, and this is where we need to, to be celebrating that, that difference and what it brings to the party. Because, um, you know, ultimately, um, I think I have another analogy as well. There's um, uh, Usain Bolt, obviously, was uh, the, the fastest person on the planet, right? Um, and I watched a documentary where they said he's physiologically and mentally different to everyone else in the world, right? Um, so that was brilliant difference, yeah? He beat everybody, okay? Um, and and I've, I've, I've got to mention this, I said I might. Um, my, um, uh, if you're familiar with the X-Men, anyone who's uh, watching and, and listening this, every single one of the X-Men has got a difference, right? Some can disappear, some are blue, some can control the mind, but they're, they're different. And they always basically have a little bit of argy-bargy with the normal, the normal group, which is the humans. But I guarantee the X-Men always win. So that's, that, that's such a powerful statement. When you, when you break it down, I think the person who wrote the, the, the X-Men um, cartoon or story probably had a, uh, a difference uh, somewhere and, um, and used that as inspiration. Love it. So as we wrap up this conversation, a question that I'm asking all my guests is what's top of your list personally or professionally for the next three months? I'm going to use October, which I've um, coined OCD October, to talk as openly and as far and wide and as far reaching as possible about the real OCD. Um, I'm going to campaign about uh, trying to change naming convention. And I'm going to try and uh, support organizations to go down like a different path um, to, uh, to embracing difference in organization. So for me, October is a, is a pivotal month where I feel that you know, I can go out there and, and talk really, really openly about this, um, get it on the, the, the agenda on a, on a massive way. Uh, encourage others to do it as well. It's not, you know, it's not me in isolation and for other um, uh, mental health and health challenges as well. I think, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we raise the profile of it and, mm. um, uh, and, and educate people, the, um, the more the acceptance comes and, and then people can start turning onto the, the positive sides rather than just laboring on the negative. So that, that's, uh, that's, that's me for October done. Well, that sounds good. And I think we'll put your, um, contact details uh including your uh linkedin uh connection on your on the show notes so that people mm. can connect with you can follow you and see what you're up to because i think that'll be uh, really interesting for for people to be able to get involved with um during the month of october so finally emma browning who's another guest on my podcast has given me a blind question for you right so here goes if you could take yourself back to the age of 21 which clearly very recently, what personal or career advice would you give yourself? Wow, that is an incredible question. Um, so what personal advice? I would uh, try and be much more, yeah, I was so focused um, on having uh, a lot of money to get a house, to, to get married and to have kids. Um, I would counsel myself to just chill out a bit yeah and not set myself such a long-term goal i would probably counsel myself to like take take each day day by day um and try and win the day rather than you know win win the life as it were because um i put so much pressure on myself to succeed 
um, as as others have as well, uh, and others do. Um, and I, maybe that wasn't healthy for me. Maybe if I had a much more pragmatic and relaxed, you know, just take things day by day, I'd be in a different place. But um, you know, that that's probably what I would uh, I'd counsel myself to do is to take a chill pill and, and and not be so focused on you know getting to retirement. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you so much, Colin. I'm I have to say I'm I'm I've loved this conversation with you. I've loved the fact that you've been walking. I can just see you walking up and down with that fantastic <laughs> backdrop. Your it's shoes, gorgeous. your feet must be really sore by now. Your shoes are just wearing away on that pavement. Oh, that, well, I'm doing my <laughs> 10,000 steps in a heartbeat, haven't I? <laughs> um, that was a really great conversation because I think it's always helpful for people to learn a bit more about something like OCD from someone who actually lives it. Um, and you know, everyone's experience is different, but I think it's a real eye-opener into what it can be like, what it might not be like, and just how to think about it. And yeah. not just around OCD, but so I think, you know, you did a really great job of bringing the conversation to a much sort of wider angle of looking at actually just individual differences, regardless of what they are. So I think you yeah. added a huge amount of value. Um, and I would urge people to, to follow up with you and get in touch with you, connect with you um, if, they're, if they're interested in finding out more. Fantastic. Thank you for joining me today on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. I hope it's got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to company culture that enables people to engage and thrive. I'm always about providing real value and so I need your help. Please rate the podcast and review it to let me know what you have enjoyed and found helpful. Maybe you also have ideas about specific topics or guests who you'd like to hear from in the future. If you would like to explore any of the points covered in these episodes, I would love to hear from you. Let's continue the conversation. Email me at it's time for change or connect with me on LinkedIn or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the show notes. Please do let me know what inspires you. That way I can make sure what I'm talking about is most helpful. Until next time, bye for now.